Welcome in. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue, joined as always by Sean Fitz. We are into May. April's behind us. It was a very busy month for Penn State football. Of course, you followed our coverage here on the podcast and on Lions 24-7. You're well aware. Uh, the spring practices coming to an end, the blue-white game, some transfer news, uh, the NFL draft, and, and all the excitement leading up to that. Six players picked out of Penn State for a second straight year. Uh, that is the most uh, in a two-year span um, since 92-93, which, which is a pretty startling fact that, that, that came up after the draft. So, you know, a successful stretch here, producing professional players, some recruiting news, busy month. We saw the class double in size, up to 10 commitments right now after getting five new players on board in the month of April. But now we turn our attention forward and we bring in Sean Fitz. And, and Sean, I wanted to start off the show by congratulating uh, the Penn State players who have an opportunity to pursue their professional careers. Uh, some will make more money initially than others, but uh, essentially they all have everything they want ahead of them. They have an opportunity to play in the NFL. Yeah, and that's really what you can ask for. Um, of course, six guys drafted. We, we we projected seven last week, and it ended up that Nick Scott was the one that uh, you know sort of bucked the trend. He got drafted by the Rams late, and uh, Kevin Givens and Ryan Bates went undrafted. So that's going to be a, a conversation probably for the next year about whether they made the right decision. Never going to say anybody made a bad decision, but that's one that, uh, man, you're, you're you're thinking how much they could help Penn State this year, and, and at the same time you're thinking how much football they've played. So I, I get the reasoning for going, uh, but that's going to be one that's worth discussing for a while. But uh, as for the guys that did get drafted, of course, our mock sucked. It was all over the place. Um, we, we had a couple of really, really good picks, and then we just had a couple of, of crazy things. Amani falling down the board as far as he did, I think, shocked everybody. Um, I think we probably looked back at the last podcast and say probably had him a little high, but didn't expect him to slip as far as he did. Um, pretty much right on the money with Trace. Uh, I think you nailed that pick with, uh, with uh, the uh, caveat of a trade happening with the Ravens. Um, but uh, Sharif Miller to the Eagles, as we predicted, uh, or as I predicted. Um, so no, it was it was it was fun to follow. Um, again, you know, a bunch of NFL guys, of course. Givens going to the Niners as an dra- undrafted free agent. Bates to the Eagles as an undrafted free agent. A lot of Eagles this year. I mean, uh, of course, Miles Sanders in the second round. Um, yeah, and De- DeAndre Tompkins going in there as an undrafted free agent. I'm getting a little long winded here. I apologize for that. But uh, no, it's uh, it was it was fun to follow. But uh, we we could use some help on our mocking skills. That's okay. I mean, it was fun, uh, and, and we could use a little bit of help, but I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll take some of those wins. You mentioned you having Sharif going to the Eagles. Uh, I had the Trace thing. We were all right in the ballpark where Trace was picked. I think we were all within, you know, eight to ten picks of where Connor McGovern went to the Dallas Cowboys in the third round, and there are many men who, whose expertise is NFL drafts, NFL mock drafts, and it turned out a lot worse for them, I'm sure. Uh, the, so, the important thing here is that I think someone owes someone some beer. So uh, and, and 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 Mark's crunching the numbers. You know, we're a few days out of the draft. We still have a lot of math to do to determine where those beers are headed. But I like the odds uh, in your favor, Sean. You know, crunching my numbers here uh, with with Rutgers regimented math. Uh, we'll see what 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 Mark comes up with. But eventually, we'll determine a winner. I think it is you though. So hats off and and cheers. Two and zero. Oh. Two and zero, but yeah, I mean the draft that was fun to follow. Of course, it was uh, a natural fit for Miles Sanders at fifty three to the Eagles, so that's going to be a great opportunity for him. Connor McGovern joins one of the best offensive lines in the in the league in the Dallas Cowboys. The coolest thing to me is Sharif Miller, um, you know, of sort of validating his decision to come out early. I know a lot of people had uh, had questioned that pick, and uh, it's it's really cool to see him headed home. 
the vast majority of those that are listening to this podcast uh, cannot comprehend the situation that he came from um, and how lucky he was to, to, to get that scholarship, to be able to have football get him out. Now he goes back to Philadelphia, not only is with a chance to be a Philadelphia Eagle, but a, a fantastic opportunity to be a, a role model in that community. I, you know, I tweeted the other day, he's, he was already a blueprint for a lot of kids in Philly. Now he's got a chance and an opportunity to make an even bigger impact. And that is one thing that I know he's looking forward to. I know that uh, it's going to be cool to watch. And I know his grandfather is going to be pumped to see him. It was so cool to, to just watch the videos after after he was drafted and, and seeing him celebrate with his family. And that goes across the board with Penn State. But, you know, you hit it on the nail on the head. His grandfather, he had told us at, at, at you know, Penn State Pro Day, the, the thought of playing for Philadelphia was brought up. And, you know, he just smiled ear to ear. And a big part of that was he said his grandfather was, you know, would be knocked over by, by that possibility. So uh, that is really cool. And I think going back to Trace McSorley, Really good landing spot for for him. The the way the Ravens are structuring this offense, you just get the feeling there's going to be opportunities for Trace McSorley to get on the field. They're doing they're they're doing things a little bit outside the box there, and a lot of it is contingent on guys who can pass and run the football. And again, Lamar Jackson, he's a guy his style of play. I, I think you're just you're looking at injuries popping up over the course of an NFL season. And I'm sorry to hit on a sore subject here again, but RG3 is the backup. He's got a really rough injury record. Uh, so I think in terms of, of where my opportunities could be, not just in 2019, but maybe next year, the year after that, Baltimore's a good spot for him. And, and Trace McSorley, a guy who, um, you know, you see the reaction on the couch with his family. We know how emotional this guy and how emotionally invested he is in his football career. Um, you know, doubt him at your own risk. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with his professional career. Uh, but he's a guy I think is going to do everything he can to maximize his situation. And John Harbaugh seems like a coach who's going to absolutely love that. Well, we, we, we sucked at our mock draft, so so much so that we're going to talk a little bit about the 2020 draft. Um, and Penn State's got some guys that I think, you know, I don't know that they'll match that six number. It's going to depend on early entries and things like that. But they've got an opportunity. They've got some talent out there that they can, um, you know, that they can maximize and get into the draft. I look at the senior class, and there's a couple guys that jump out. Cam Brown is uh, much maligned among the fan base, at least that we deal with. Um, you know, he's never quite put it together, but there, there are scouts out there that are really like what Cam Brown brings to the table. If he has a big year, I could see him going a lot earlier than people think. Um, John Reed, of course, is a guy that we've looked at for a while that, uh, you know, has always had the talent. You're just wondering about his. Uh, bounce back from that injury, his size and things like that. So John Reed, I think is certainly a possibility. Rob Windsor next on my list is, uh, this is a guy that feels that he can be a really high NFL draft pick. If you followed his Twitter, you're not surprised by that. I had a, a former teammate tell me that, you know, Rob, Rob has a pretty high opinion of himself. Not, not, not judging that, but he, he said the, the, the comment to me was he thinks he's JJ Watt. So we will see if he takes that next step. If he's the guy in the middle, he doesn't have Kevin Givens there beside him. Doesn't have Sharif Miller beside him. I think he's an NFL player. I think he's a draft pick. And I think he's a guy that can really benefit from, from this season. Uh, Steven Gonzalez, of course, tested the waters this year, got some feedback from some people. I think it was probably the right move for him to come back to school, but he's going to have an opportunity next year. Now, granted, if, if Ryan Bates doesn't get drafted, where's that leave Gonzalez? I think that's probably a measuring stick that you can put out there because Bates uh, a little bit more athletic, uh, I think, you know, just as experienced. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, and then uh, Garrett Taylor with a big year could get there. Blake Gilligan, I know he's a punter, but uh, so there's, there's certainly potential in that senior class. 
Yeah, and I, I think you know John Reed's a guy who you know feels like he's been at Penn State forever at this point, a fifth year player. Um, you know, I think this is going to be a, a big year for him that, to show that he is well removed from that injury and the recovery that that required. And uh, I think you know both those guys, Cam Brown, Garrett Taylor, are two players that I think game to game. You didn't always get the same version, uh, you know, in 2018. Yes, there was definitely flashes, though, I think, on, for both those guys, particularly for Cam Brown, because he is physically just at a different level as, as far as an athlete goes. And he seems to be a lot of what NFL defensive scouts covet up there in the front seven in today's day and age and, and, and being able to kind of use a guy in interchangeable roles. So, uh, you know, that that's a good list. And Steven Gonzalez, I have to imagine um, he's a guy who – who's going to help his case. Uh, I, if he doesn't this year, then that's a bad sign for the Penn State offensive line. Uh, you know, And I think, you know, looking at underclassmen there, Sean, and, and I know we're going to do that now, you know, the name that everyone's going to start with and is the name that's being mentioned in these way-too-early 2020 mock drafts. And in some cases, I think, you know, not getting the respect that he really warranted from what he did in the Big Ten schedule last year, Etor Grossmatos, the, the rising junior for the Nittany Lions. He's going to be the first guy off the board next year. I feel fairly confident saying that. And, you know, sometimes you're wondering if guys are going to go or not. I mean, I feel pretty similar the way that I did to Saquon Barkley a couple of years ago, where if everything stays right and he stays healthy, I think he's gone. And I think he should be. I think uh, he's been mocked as high as number six in some of these uh, early 2020 mocks, which are worthless at this point. But still, at the same time, it's a good gauge of, of where people think that, uh, you know, or at least people are, are mentioning your name. And that's the biggest thing. So uh, I think he's a first rounder. I think he's a top 15 pick. And if he continues to develop the way that he has developed over the last year and a half, which is just incredible when you think about where he was uh, probably three or four years ago keeps filling out keeps doing what he needs to do he's going to be a guy that's up there and I don't think there's any doubt he's the first guy off the board for Penn State next year and then I think I think you have I've stated this before I don't want to put words in your mouth so correct me if I'm wrong but I'm of the opinion that that the best defensive back in uh, in the secondary right now is a junior and it's and it's uh, Tariq Castro Fields I think he's a guy who who really really you know sunk his teeth into the situation last year and was for all in terms of for all intents and purposes was a starter uh even though he wasn't you know a first teamer on that depth chart um a lot of experience through two seasons I think he's someone who who has really found a lot of confidence he plays that way and, and I really expect him to have a huge huge season for Penn State and be a guy who who looks like the kind of cornerback who can flourish in the NFL for a long time yeah, and I think that's the key is is, is you're talking about projections and athleticism and, ta and natural talent. Uh, Castro Fields has all three, and John Reed's been a very productive player for Penn State, but I think Castro Fields, when you add his length, when you add his speed, uh, just is at another level as a prospect. So, yeah, with a good year, he's certainly a guy that's going to think about uh, think about this kind of thing. Of course, he played right away just like Gross Matos did in that, uh, that 2017 class. Yeah, the 2017 class. So um, they, they both got an opportunity with, with a good year to, to really improve themselves. And by the way, I, I forgot to mention Nick Bowers, who is a guy that I've um, you know kind of stumped for in the offseason as well. He's got a shot to make, uh, to make his way into the back end of that draft as well if he tests well. But yeah, those two underclassmen are, are guys that I think about, you know, as, you know, probably or very possible that they could uh, throw their name into the hat as well. 
Sean, you never give Nick Bowers any love. You got you got to start, you know, yeah, give him the right. spotlight. Right. Right? Yeah, and I, 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 Nick Bowers looks like a guy who definitely can play for a while. He, he looks there. like he belongs. He looks, he, yeah, he looks like he's already he, there. He's just got to stay healthy. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. And of course, you've got a uh, freshman All American playing beside him right now too. So it's going to cut into his reps. But you know, we've seen you know the two Iowa tight ends win the first round. That's not going to happen with 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 Bowers and Fryermuth. But I mean, he's got an opportunity to make himself some money and get himself drafted. Hear his name called, which is pretty cool to think about. And, and you mentioned, you know, uh, Castro Fields, Gross Matos, you know, avoiding the red shirt in 2017. The only other freshman who did that that year was Lamont Wade. Um, so we're talking about, you know, obviously the NCAA rules have changed anything. You're going to see fewer red shirts these days. But you're talking about a class that only had three guys burn their red shirt. So not a lot of true juniors on, on this 2019 Penn State roster. But there's a heck of a lot of red shirt sophomores. Yeah, I mean, it's a big class. And, and that's that's sort of the way they went. I mean, there, you look at that class of 2017 and there weren't immediate impact guys all over the place. So, uh, but the guy with, you know, from that group with a lot of talent, but came in hurt KJ Hamler, I think is an obvious, obvious guy that you look at, you know, if he has another productive year this year, takes it to the next level. Where's he at as an NFL prospect? It's hard to say right now because of his size, but there, there's a place for guys like that in the NFL and they can flourish. It's just a matter of, you know, does he uh, does he put up the numbers? Does he separate himself as a prospect rather than just a really, really good college receiver, which is what we think he is. So I think he'll have that conversation. I think the, probably the most interesting thing to come of this will be the veteran offensive lineman, Michael Mennett, Will Fries, will at that point have started at least two years. Uh, Fries, I guess, would be technically kind of a three-year starter. So it would be a situation like this year with Bates and McGovern where they've each played a lot of football. How much better can they improve their draft status? Might be a bit of a cautionary tale with Bates coming out where Bates was obviously, you know, a guy that we looked at maybe as Penn State's best lineman. So, I mean, it's tough to say uh, where these guys or what these guys will learn from that, especially when you take a look at the numbers of the underclassmen that went undrafted in this year. I mean, that's a sobering statistic. The only problem with that is we see that statistic every year, and it seems like it's ignored every year by these guys that are testing the waters. Yeah, and, and it's it's obviously a statistic that is, you know, there's a ton of variables. We're talking about what someone's home life is like, who may be, you know, financially dependent upon them and who would really benefit financially from them making that move. And then there's guys who have graduated with their degrees, and I, I think that's obviously a separating factor as well. But it'll be interesting. I mean, McGovern, Bates, they both started 35 college games. That's a lot of wear and tear at the college level. Um, and, and you can understand where the decision comes from and you can understand why a guy like Steven Gonzalez, you know, told media, you know, during spring camp that he was initially leaning towards the draft until he, he came back to, and, and stayed on campus. So I, I think, you know, when we look at this group, it's important to remember, you know, even when factoring in these redshirt sophomores, one breakout season away from changing everything, you know, we see it time and time again on college campuses where a third year player, you know, who may, may have done nothing his first couple of years goes out. It might not even need to be a complete season, but six, seven game stretch where he looks the part. All of a sudden, NFL scouts are salivating. This guy's stock gets bumped, and uh, you just never know. And again, that's why the mock drafts are really silly for 2020 at this point. Uh, but you know, any player on this Penn State roster, really, uh, who's who's in the program for three years, could be one big season away uh, from you know proving a lot of people wrong and ending up being a major NFL draft prospect. It was 35% of underclassmen who declared earlier from the draft last year did uh, did not get drafted this year. Um, so there was a couple numbers floating around. Uh, 49 of 144 said the athletic. Gil Brandt said 30, uh, I think 30 
of 149 or something like that. But regardless, two of them were from Penn State. So that's that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, it might be something that guys learn from. It very well may not be. So we will see what happens with that. But um, yeah, I think Penn State could have another projected, you know, uh, another well-projected draft next year, uh, topped by Gross Matos and, and a nice senior class. And Sean, you talked about this uh, on our last episode, but you know there was a much higher volume of underclassmen departing Penn State than there has been in the past. So, um, you know, I think it was bound to happen. I think you know, to see all five of these guys, I know we mocked all five of them um, as getting drafted, but I, I think none of us, me, you, Mark, you know, anyone who follows Penn State closely w- would have been surprised if one or two of these guys did slip out of the draft. And that's exactly what happened. So again. Kevin Givens has a home with the 49ers right now. Ryan Bates is with the Eagles, and and they'll work from there. But, you know, obviously and, and not the say, result they wanted. And we say that it's so, you know, it's when you get to the end of the draft, you know, you can choose your your opportunity, but still to not hear your name called, to not live that dream kind of sucks for those guys. So it is what it is. Those guys are off, and they're not coming back soon. That's an interesting uh, topic, and I know some people have covered that in the last couple of days, where if you go undrafted, you know, maybe you have the option to come back to school. I, I'm not a big fan of that. I mean, you, you make the decision, you live with it, and you go with it, but I can see the argument for it, but I'm, I'm just not, that's, not my, that's not my viewpoint on that. The, I think it's just it's ignoring the fact that the team is still doing their thing. You know, they have still have spring practice. They still have, you know, they're, they're moving forward with their personnel. They're putting together their new depth chart for a new season. And when you're stepping away and, and you have your agent and you're out training somewhere and your, your focus is on doing these interviews and getting your 40 yard dash time down, I, I just don't necessarily see how that would work, but there's always, uh, there's plenty of room for ideas when it comes to the NCAA. So keep them coming. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, Sean, a new, a new idea from the NCA this year. Um, <laughs> they, they sort of changed the rules. And actually, I don't know. I talked to somebody about this earlier today, and I don't know that it impacted this situation all that much because it's just a, uh, a adapting a rule where Penn State offered a transfer kicker this week. Um, just Justin Stout, I believe is his name from Virginia Tech. He was a walk on at Virginia Tech. They offered him a scholarship. And, and this is one where Penn State's going to be right in the thick of things. Um, and an interesting ch- rule change this year says if you're walking on or re- receiving, I guess, uh, academic aid or something like that, if you're a non-recruited walk-on, you could, or excuse me, a recruited walk-on, you could go from the team that you currently were on to the, the new team and be a walk-on. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a weird situation because you don't see that a ton at this level. Now, Stout is a guy who at Virginia Tech – you know, had 84.5% of his his kickoffs go to touchbacks. He's a kickoff specialist. He's a punter. He was in the kicking job uh, race for the, for Virginia Tech this spring. He did not win it. But now he's got an opportunity to go out there, put himself in the portal. Joe Lorig's here, new special teams coach, fresh start. So Penn State's got an opportunity to shake up that kicking room, whereas, you know, a, a year or two ago this probably doesn't happen. Yeah, a, a aggressive move, you know, for, from the Penn State staff, Lorig, Franklin, everyone involved in that decision to, to offer this kid a, a full scholarship. And, you know, we know right now at the kicker position, they've got one scholarship player. That's Jake Pinnegar, sophomore. And Rafael Checa last year, you know, he's a guy who showed off a lot of power on that leg. Um, you know, but, you know, clearly accuracy was an issue last year. Anyone who followed Penn State uh, knew that kickoffs were an issue. You know, you got a new coordinator, but uh, they're going to prioritize uh, improving there, clearly. And, and and as you reported with this story, um, this is a, a, the next name to surface on the transfer radar. We've seen a couple incoming wide receivers. 
I don't think any of us thought they were done exploring transfer options. I personally did not necessarily see them looking at the kicker spot. I don't know if this is something that that you were anticipating, Sean. But um, you know, I, I spoke last week, you know, coming out of spring uh, practice about how healthy the kicking spot was. But this tells me, you know, Lorig and, and company being aggressive and trying to, to maximize their opportunities. And and by the way, how was this not already an NCAA rule? I can, I to have an opportunity to accept the scholarship somewhere else and then have to be a bit penalized and sit a full year, uh, it, whereas you could stay and pay for your tuition and keep being the walk-on at this other program. It's it, I can't believe the NCAA didn't address that. Well, I can believe it, but it took until 2018, 2019 to handle that situation. I'm very happy for players like this uh, because if you have a scholarship on the table and the program that you're with isn't willing to pony one up, you have every right to go claim that and get on the field right away uh, yeah, because I think that's outrageous that it, that that was not in place already. Yeah, and I think that's the thing with Virginia Tech, and, and it's Jordan Stout, and I completely messed that up. I think I said Justin or Jason or probably both, uh, but Jordan Stout. Um, so it, it, it's it's one of those things where he didn't win the kicking job. He was uh, looking for other options. That if you don't if you don't win the kicking job, you're probably not going to go on scholarship, and that's the thing that he wanted to to, to eventually do. Um, it's just the, you know, the way Penn State approached their special teams last year, punter, place kicker, kickoff specialist. Checo was fine, you know, for a walk-on true freshman, did really well. Uh, I think 37 of 40, or excuse me, 39 of 74 touchbacks, which, you know, is about 50%. When you take that number and you add, you know, 35% to that, I mean, if the, that opportunity is there. I think you got to take it. I, I agree with you. It's Joe Lorig being aggressive. You know, his these are these are his guys now. They're not necessarily his boys. You know, he didn't bring them in. So the the way that he's approached uh, specialists uh, recruiting this in this cycle, getting a lot of guys to camp on June first. Some of the top punters and kickers in the country are coming to Penn State on June first to work out. Um, so he's going aggressive, trying to fix things quickly. And as he said, that's that's the way that you change your win column total is is by getting these special teams right because that can add an extra win or two at the end of the year. I would, yeah, I was just going to say that the first time we had a, a chance to speak with, with Joe Lorig, um, I think it was signing day, if I'm not mistaken, in February, um, he said there is no quicker path to improving your football program than by taking care of business on special teams. And uh, it's a priority, and, and, and we're seeing it here, and, and we'll see where that development goes, and, and we'll be following that transfer uh, potential here on Lions 24-7. Uh, now, we do know uh, officially a new Nittany Lions uh, commit on board, uh, and it's another offensive lineman. As we said at the top of the show, five new commitments in April. That doubled the class size, and Sean you wrote about this on uh, on Tuesday on Lines 24-7. The offensive linemen have been a huge part of the way this class has grown. There are five of them on board now. Aaron Parks is the latest addition to that class, and he's the second player from his high school in this Penn State class. Well, somebody asked me in the chat, uh, how many scholarships do you think? And I just said all of them. Just throw all of the scholarships at them. Uh, it, this really goes back, and we're talking about a number standpoint here. This goes back to last year when Penn State you know, kind of struck out at offensive tackle, only ended up with two high school uh, offensive linemen in Caden Wallace and Salim Wormley, both of which project as interior guys, at least, at least down the line. Wallace still could start his career at tackle out of necessity. But but this is a, a situation where you had to throw numbers at this to sort of even things out. Of course, Anthony Wigan, we kind of take out of the, the conversation here because of his eligibility as a junior this year. So um, it, it, it's really a situation where you're throwing numbers just to try, try and self-correct. 
Um, they started off loading up in the interior, and I think uh, three interior guys is certainly maxed out. They want tackles in this class. Uh, Grant Tutant is, is a guy that we had on the podcast last week. Uh, I think he's a, a terrific-looking prospect. Aaron Parks probably not as far along right now, but when you're talking about long-term ceiling, this kid has a lot of potential. He's 6'5", he's plus, maybe carrying a little bit too much weight, 3'10", 3'15", right now, but uh, he's got an opportunity. He's very young in terms of football. He's only played a couple of years in football is it national christian with josh moten which i think is what you set me up for when, when we started when i started this uh this little rant but parks has uh, a really high ceiling on him a little bit raw um you know he's had some good camp footage out there has, hold, has held his own very well but at the end of the day i mean this is a guy that penn state targeted very early we were talking about mocking up the class last fall. Parks is a guy that went in there. He went out, took some other visits, and actually was supposed to announce tomorrow on Thursday on May 2nd, but decided to end it a little bit early. Penn State's glad he did. Now five commits in the class uh, on the offensive line, and they're going to keep throwing numbers at it from here. And it's uh, these guys are not small. These are not uh, you know the 255, 260-pound variety of offensive linemen that you say, what's he going to look like when we get 30 pounds on him? Sean, you mentioned it in, in a couple of these cases. You're talking about guys who need to shed some weight before they get to campus, and, and they are doing that. And Caden Wallace really set a great example for that uh, for future Penn State offensive line recruits. But, um, you know, I think this class on the offensive front, I got a chance to see two of these guys in action on Sunday down at the Under Armour uh, Baltimore camp, which we'll talk about a little bit later here. R.J. Adams, uh, who committed back at the spring game, you know, he says they have a similar mindset. He says they have watched each other's films. They have talked now. Nick Dawkins is into that conversation, and now I'm sure uh, Parks is going to be a big part of that conversation. Uh, they have a lot of confidence in themselves as, you know, they were, let's put it this way. They think they're some ass kickers. That, that's basically the way it's phrased, and it was phrased a little bit more vulgar than that, uh, which I love hearing from offensive linemen, but I can't necessarily use the, uh, the, the audio clip on this podcast because we could have kids out there. Uh, but these guys, you know, come with that mentality. And what's we what we heard from James Franklin about Caden Wallace and and uh, and about Sunlee uh, Wormley was that they were keeping tabs on pancakes every week, and they were keeping keeping the staff updated, and they had a competition going there. And those are both guys who finished their blocks. Franklin has harped on nastiness needing to be a priority, elevated nastiness in the trenches. You know. You know, no slight to anybody who's on the roster now. I didn't cover a lot of them as recruits, but these guys foot the bill. I saw a couple of them in action Sunday. They were relentless. They were not taking it easy on kids between the whistles. Um, so I think they, they've got a group here that's going to come in and, and, and be ready from a size standpoint, but from a competitive standpoint as well. And I think that's something that's really hard to teach, especially on the offensive line, a kid to be competitive after he gets to campus. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right, and the, the, this class is kind of all over the place. And by the way, if you're listening with your children, I want to apologize for Tyler. He's he's way out of line. But uh, no, I mean this is a, this is a class that's kind of all over the board. You've got a couple of true tackles, and we thought you know coming into this this cycle that it would be probably what five guys, six guys, maybe four or five tackles. Um, that really hasn't worked out that way. But you know you've you've got an opportunity to get some guys that sort of change the look in the room. Two guys that you know just you you saw them in underarm this weekend but Adams was was beating people up and then Achumba uh he's a, he's a very very big human being I mean he's and he's down he's down about 40 pounds from from where he was last year and he's still 320 I mean you'd like to see him drop even more but just long arms big hands just a bruiser in there and, and he really hasn't played a ton of football either so 
uh, you know, some high ceiling guys in here. I don't think there's any guys that are really can't miss. Maybe, maybe two taunts, probably the closest to that, but, uh, uh, some really high ceiling guys in there. We'll see where that a couple of years from, uh, from now, but some good pieces of play or excuse me, some good, uh, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, some good pieces of clay to mold for Matt Limegrover moving forward. So we'll see where that in a couple of years. But they're going to keep building on this. Um, you know, the, the number I'm I'm shooting for is six, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them go with seven if if an Olaf Ashanu or a Michael Carmody or maybe a Josh Fryer, Zach Zinter, somebody like that. If if those guys want to come, I mean, you have to tell them yes. So don't want to get caught uh, sort of with your pants down like they were last year with uh, with Ja'Kai Moore and sort of striking out on tackle. Now you're balancing out the class, but you're doing that with guys that you targeted fairly early. Golden Achumba, probably the most intimidating prospect I've seen on, on a camp field he's, in a couple, he's got in a couple mythical, of years. I don't want to say ever. 11-inch hands as well, <laughs> which you don't see very often. Antonio Alfano had him. Micah Parsons has them. They're very few and far between, but when you put him on uh, Chumba, he's sort of uh, Michael Onwenu uh, from, from Michigan a couple of years ago, just a massive human being that, you know, he was probably 350 pounds, but he looked like he was about 320. So Achumba in that same sense uh, is, is much much bigger than I think you probably people give him credit for just because he's just so massive. Yeah. There's also some guys that go to these camps and, and they're dancing to the music and they're joking around. Uh, Golden is not one of those guys. Uh, he is, he wore a scowl and I loved no it. Fun zone, yeah. yeah. Because he was there, uh, he was on a business trip and uh, you know, I love to see that from guys who already have the 20 plus offers are already committed to the big power five program. So uh, we'll talk about more uh, from that camp in, in a moment, but Sean, I, I do want to say, those two, the small sample size I got of, of the of future of Penn State's offensive line, uh, I think Penn State fans will approve. And I, I got a video this weekend sent to me, Nick Dawkins p- p- deadlifting 500 pounds. So this kid's uh, pretty strong as well. So if you're looking at that being the, the floor for this class, I think it's a good start for Penn State, uh, at least up front. They're, of course, going to continue to expand that class, um, looking at uh, several positions, running back and receiver, two, two priorities on the offensive side of the ball. And, of course, defense, you know, you're always looking for defensive backs and athletes in, the, in there. So uh, put in a crystal ball pick for Ben Galli Kamara from Ohio. Um, I like where Penn State stands with him coming out of his uh, sort of his springtime. He's continuing to uh, to I guess ex- not expose himself, but gain exposure um, on the recruiting scene. And Penn State's in a, in a good spot for him right now. They're of course on the road for the spring evaluation period, and a lot of offers are coming out. And that's what you're seeing these days. I mean, LSU seems like they're offering everybody into the sun. Of course, they just got Antoine Sampa too, so and they have the number one class in the country, so they're doing something right. Um, but you're seeing a ton of offers come out uh, a bunch of familiar guys are picking up some really big schools and may stall the process may not but Penn State's also you know had their share of new offers they offered a North Carolina commit this week a defensive tackle in the junior college ranks uh, so I mean it's uh, it's one of those things where you, you can look and you, it feels late in the cycle I mean but it, it's only May 1st right now so it's still the spring evaluation period you can still find plan a guys out there that maybe you haven't uh, gone after maybe you're finding out that those guys are more interested and things like that but um, it's, it's not, it's not quite panic time. It's not quite where we thought this class would be at this point, but it's not quite panic time either. The position that really fascinates me here, Sean, is receiver because two guys signed last year. I know TJ Jones was, was a guy that, that kind of popped up 
later in the process, and, and he lost the commitment from Emory Simmons a couple weeks before signing period. So, you know, wide receiver class last year was kind of all over the place. He had, he had a really fight to keep Dunmore. And now here you are, and, and, I, and I've said for a while, I think three is the number at wide receiver. I, I know, you know, it could be two, could be three. Julian Fleming, everyone wants to make him one of those slots. But, you know, the longer he's going to go, the more he keeps visiting other campuses, you know, the more unsure you're going to get about that situation. And, and continuously, you know, we're seeing them, you know, target some other wide receivers. Again, uh, offering a North Carolina commit out of Georgia uh, this week. And, and, and Jared Parker starting to get that relationship going. Now, a kid I saw down in camp, Sean, on, on Sunday, he's not one of these new offers, but Keandre Lambert, I think, is a, is a, is a key name to know on the wide receiver trail. Um, he's somebody who's, who's going to be cutting this thing down uh, quite a bit in the future, Penn State's right there. He's going to be back on campus before a decision is made, maybe back there multiple times. And I thought he was the most impressive wide receiver in terms of performance on Sunday. And this was a field that featured, uh, you know, uh, Dante Thornton, the sophomore committed to Penn State, really impressive kid, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, really a lot of impressive future Power Five receivers. And, and Lambert was the best one out there to me. And he's a guy who, who pointed to Penn State. Jaden Dotton's a name to know that, that we've become familiar with. But right now, more offers going out. I, I think there's probably some names out there that, that have offers that we're not really maybe focused in quite yet on. Uh, I feel like it could go a lot of different ways of wide receiver. A name to know in that 2021 class, of course, they have Thornton on board, but Caden Prather picked up the offer at the Blue-White game, and he was really good from what I understand from talking to Brian. He was. Dillon, I think. He was very good. I think he made it in the 24-7 sports top performers list on offense, which, you know, it was a talented group. Harrison was there. Thornton was there. A bunch of guys were there. But Prather is a guy that they really liked. And I think Penn State, you know, really established themselves as the leader coming out of that offer. He's going to continue to blow up and see a lot of guys, uh, you know, see a lot of, of schools come his way. But at the same time, Penn State in on him very early. Um, they offered another kid in, in Virginia, Maryland. This was kind of a gray area for you. Uh, I believe it was Marcus Johnson. Um, I think I've, if it's not Marcus, he's a 2021 kid. Really, really fast. 10-6 kid in the 100. So um, they, they're certainly focusing on 2021 as well as 2020. And the potential is certainly there as well. Uh, one more offer to get to that I wanted to mention. Octavius Oxendine. I don't know anything about him, but that's a Freaking awesome name. The defensive tackle in Kentucky, Octavius Oxendine. No idea if he has interest, but I want him here because of that. I love it. And it sounds like, you remember the Key and Peel uh, skits where they would you know, do the, the football intros and, and throw out all those names? Yes. Yeah, th this, this is up that alley. I love that name. One other name, 2021, uh, Tristan Lee got an offer last week uh, from Penn State. He was at the camp on Sunday. He's a guy who's 6'6", six six, 275. Uh, working at offensive tackle, and and he's one of those basketball kids, um, and I always love how that translates for an offensive tackle, and, and a kid who's 270 pounds at six foot six, that's a frame you can work with. He's a guy who's going to be up on, on Penn State's campus for the first time here coming up in May, uh, from what he tells me, and 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 uh, you know he was out there with Landon Tengwall. Uh, and and those two tackles, I'll tell you what, different kind of prospects. But this kid, Tristan Lee, uh, he's considered a four-star in the initial 247 uh, rankings for 2021. And I think it's for good reason. And I think he's a name that Penn State fans should be aware of. I believe he picked up a couple more Power 5 offers uh, since camp. So he's a name on the rise out of Robinson Secondary School in Fairfax, Virginia. 
another guy, Naki Johnson, and Western Pennsylvania. Penn State has now offered eight, uh, yeah, eight prospects in Pennsylvania in the 2021 class. Johnson, an edge rusher from West Mifflin, played last year at, at Steel Valley. So uh, Steel Valley puts out some really, really good players, but uh, transferred in the offseason. This is a guy that is probably going to be a defensive end eventually, plays some linebacker, plays some tight end. So a versatile guy. Penn State had him on campus this spring as well. Got to look at him, like what they saw. So um, it's uh, th- th- that class in 2021 shaping up to be a really good one. Still waiting on them to, to offer Jeremiah Trotter Jr. But, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a big opportunity for Penn State in the next cycle. Uh, it's, it's a it's a very large amount of offers for for kids who are halfway through their high school careers, and that tells you what Penn State thinks of these players. And uh, certainly, have to imagine that that camps that are going to be on campus for Penn State, where their coaches are going to get a, a great opportunity to evaluate and test these players, those typically will produce more offers. So, uh, will not be surprising in the least if if that number is in the double digits before long. And Compared to the last couple of classes, that's a big difference, and that should give you uh, an edge for class construction in 2021. Uh, but uh, you know, looking down the road here, Sean, I know we've been covering, uh, uh, you know, kind of mixing in the Under Armour uh, camp talk, but I can't talk too much on 2021 without getting into Landon Tangwall uh, and, and where he stands right now because you know this guy has the makings, I think, of of an eventual you know top 10 NFL kind of draft pick. This is a kid who has just built himself up physically. Uh, going from a wide receiver in, in seventh and eighth grade to where he is now as a top five offensive tackle. This is not the, the typical you know kid who was always husky and, and found an outlet in football. This is an athlete who has grown up and, and dedicated himself in the weight room and is doing things right. And I, I mean, he just is very well put together. He looks like someone who's, who's on the verge of going to a college campus. He comes off that way when you talk to him, a kid who's, who's now about two years into his college recruitment, which is hard to imagine. Uh, but Penn State's in good shape here, Sean, and they have been for a while. He was the first offensive lineman they targeted in the 2021 class, and, and we know how, how they've recruited to Maryland. Uh, they've been able to get him back on campus time and time again, and he'll be making that trip up again uh, in May for a junior day. Um, third week of May, he's going to be on campus. He was up on campus April 6th, and he says you know, very soon, probably within the next couple of months, maybe weeks, He's going to narrow things down to five, four, maybe even three schools. So this is a pretty significant slash for him. A kid who's at 30 offers and has not had a top list yet. Penn State's going to be on that list, Sean. Notre Dame's in a good spot. Michigan's in a good spot. And then you've got a bunch of other teams that are swarming around him. This is a kid who's already been to campuses across the country. Alabama, Auburn, uh, down to Florida, up to Penn State, out to Notre Dame. A lot on the table, but Penn State's going to be in this one for, for the long haul. And I figured that was worth mentioning here. Absolutely. I mean, this is a kid that's probably going to end up in the Big Ten and, and Penn State. You're right. Uh, you know, Notre Dame is the leader right now, but I don't think it's an insurmountable or, or a very big lead, to be honest with you. I, you know, I think he kind of backed off those statements that he made after his Notre Dame trip. And I still think the Fighting Irish are, are right there at the top of the list. But I think Penn State probably number two on that list. It's going to be his second visit to Penn State on May 18th uh, since that Notre Dame trip. So every time they can get him back is good. And of course, good counsel always comes up to the uh, the team camp. So wouldn't be surprised to see him make it back from them either. So, um, yeah, Tengwall, is, he's he's a really, really good one. And you've been sort of watching him since eighth grade. We remember he was in camp a couple of years ago as an eighth grader, was one of the MVPs of the Big Man Challenge. So he's been on Penn State's radar for a while, likes them a lot. And, you know, I, I, I don't know where my crystal ball is right now. I had one in on Penn State. I don't remember if I flipped it to Notre Dame. But right now, I mean, that's kind of up in the air. And, and I think Penn State fans will be pleased to know that Dante Thornton, who at this point is the only 2021 commit for Penn State, 
Uh, he's been working it with 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 Tangwell. Uh, Landon says he hears from Dante about joining the class, and um, you know I still you know I think this is going to be a situation where he, he trims it down to those few schools. But I think he could carry those few schools for a while. Uh, but that can get stressful. And he said he's not somebody who likes really the constant communication with coaches. And you know, uh, you know if you're going to trim it down to three or four schools and, and keep it that way for several months or a full year. You're going to hear from the same coaches a lot. So maybe Landon Tengwall accelerates his timeline. But as of now, you know, the way he phrased it was more targeting uh, sometime before his senior year, which which leaves a lot of room because that is September of 2020. Um, and, and so stay tuned on that one. I will also say in the trenches, another player stood out uh, and I think has really done a nice job developing um, himself physically this offseason uh, is Koziah Izzard. Uh, Sean, this kid... <laughs> He looked really good. He looked really impressive out there in, in drills. Defensive lineman, uh, I think that he's got potential to play across the defensive front. A guy who's focused in on defensive end right now at DeMatha Catholic, a, a, a program that has produced plenty of, of, of really impressive defensive ends over the years. Uh, but I thought he had himself a nice day. Um, and then another guy that we saw out there, um, you know, who, who is going to be a name to know moving forward, I think, um, you know, continues to be uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., a guy that I, I think out of Philadelphia is going to continue to get plenty of Penn State attention, had himself a nice day, continues to, to say, hey, I'm, I, you know, look beyond the Marvin Harrison connection. I'm a pretty good player. He's out there handling his own. Uh, but again, I think, and I mentioned this yesterday following the McCord commitment to Ohio State, feels like, feels like he's training towards the Buckeyes too. Uh, but, but I got to say, impressed by him for the second time this month and, and seeing him on the football field. He's a better player than I thought he was. You know, I know he's got the reputation and everything as Marvin Harrison's kid, and we had him ranked absurdly high at one point, I think 15th in the country, but he's a better player than I gave him credit for, you know, based off of what I saw from him early in his career, based, uh, you know, going from what I saw from him last year. So uh, be interesting to see where he uh, develops from here. But yeah, you're right. Ohio State's in a really good spot for him right now. Wouldn't be shocked if he followed Kyle McCord to, uh, to, to Columbus. Let me mention just a couple other names here. One of them, Penn State commit Curtis Jacobs. Uh, he's a guy who's you know transitioning. He's a beast. Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> look, he he described himself as you know a killer out there on defense, and, and he'll, he'll crush anything that moves. and And I love that about him. And, and what I really like is you know he looked pretty good at, at linebacker. And I, and I know you know when when it's a situation like this, it's very hard to tell because he's focusing on safety, he's focusing at receiver. We know that that this is going to be kind of a transition, but. I love what Penn State's doing right now at linebacker, the way they're recruiting guys and saying, hey, he may not be a linebacker right now, but think about what he's going to be in 18 months. Um, it, he will be a really good linebacker for us. And you can imagine the staff having those thoughts and saying, I don't care that he's not listed at a linebacker or he's not playing a linebacker. He's going to be a linebacker for us. And I think this guy fits that bill, Derek Wingo, very much. But Curtis Jacobs was impressive out there, a guy that, that, that really handles himself well in pass coverage. That's something he's going to bring from the safety position to that spot at outside linebacker. And then two defensive backs uh, that I, I thought had themselves a day on Sunday. One picked up a Penn State offer in March, Joseph Johnson. He committed to, to NC State a couple weeks later, but he just picked up an Ohio State offer the last few days. I have to imagine the Penn State staff isn't going to just end communications at this point. A lot of programs are going to be in pursuit of this kid, and I think for good reason. He's a six foot three cornerback. He looks like he can stay at cornerback at that size, and his length is incredible. That wingspan and his ability to, to, to go stride for stride as well. Love what he does at cornerback. I think he's a guy who's going to get a major bump in rankings at some point. He's currently a three-star. And then one guy who's kind of been a no-doubt about it for a long time, Tony Grimes, 
you know, picking up scholarship offers as an eighth grader. He's now, you know, heading in toward his junior year at Princess Anne High School in Virginia Beach, number two cornerback in and two four seven sports twenty twenty one rankings. He mentioned probably ten to twelve schools, Sean, during our conversation, uh, that, that were consistently recruiting him and, and that that he was consistently reciprocating interest with. Penn State is one of those schools. Had a chance to catch up with him and his dad for a little while. Talk about a kid with plenty of possibilities. Tony Grimes has them. And he came away with a strong impression of Penn State, though. He made, he made that trip up there with a couple other prospects um, back in March. And I, and I think that was a nice step forward for the Nittany Lions uh, when it comes to Tony Grimes. It's all about staying in the conversation with some of those guys. And, and you're right. I don't think Joseph Johnson's uh, recruitment is over by by any stretch of the imagination. Just when he committed to NC State, I think there were a lot of people that said that as well. So uh, our timeline, how, however, has finished here. We're going to try and come back at you with another episode later this week. I know it's, uh, you know, it's getting toward the end of the week, but at the end of the day, we've got uh, a Nick Dawkins interview we didn't get to today that's fantastic from what Tyler tells me. So we'll be looking forward to that. Um, anything else, Tyler? No, I think that's about it. Uh, you know, uh, April's in the books, and it was a busy one, and look forward to seeing what we got cooking in May. But, uh, yeah, Nick Dawkins, you know, I, I was hoping to get that maybe up earlier in the week, but the timing is going to work out. We'll have that up for you here probably Friday, uh, if not sooner, and he's a guy that I think Penn State's fans are going to gravitate toward immediately. So definitely, uh, you know, catch that on, on uh, wherever you get your podcast from. And we got some quarterback talk coming up on the next episode, too, a little bit of a rankings update. So, uh, kind of a mixed bag, but we had a lot to catch up on this one. Yep, that'll do it for us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We will see you later this week.